Well, if you have a Bible handy, as the uh, electronic ushers come forward, we're working on the drone system right now. Like I was telling you, they're going to have it come in, buzz by you, and just drop in, and uh, you can give that way. It's just kind of new stuff that we're working on. First Peter chapter 4 here this morning. Anthony, I see you out there. I saw Anthony walk by. Anthony's birthday was Friday, by the way. So when you see Anthony, we're going to get him. He's trying to stay away. He said, well, I just won't come to church if you're going to sing happy birthday to me. I said, well, it's nice knowing you. He said, no. He, I go, you're going to come back eventually because you'll just miss us. And he said, yeah. So I saw him walk by. But, you know, if you see him, wish him a happy birthday and that the, the Lord would bless him as much as he blesses all of us here at Calvary Chapel. First Peter chapter 4, we're going to read uh, verses 12 through 19 this morning in this series uh, I've titled Hope in the Dark, and I share with you each week the reason for that is we all go through dark moments in our life where they don't make any sense, and Peter was writing to the church uh, that we have hope, no matter what we go through, that uh, we are not alone, that God is with us, he hasn't abandoned us, and uh, sometimes even beyond our ability to comprehend or understand, uh, there is a purpose, uh, as we've shared with you in this series, for the pain that we uh, experience. And I titled this morning's message, Temporal Pain, Eternal Glory. And I want you to say that with me. Temporal Pain, Eternal Glory. Because that's <laughs> we got to hold on to that. There is going to be pain in this life, but glory lasts forever. Amen? And uh, it's one of the great things that we can encourage and comfort one another with. We'll read this together, and, uh, and then we'll take a moment here and we'll pray. In verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, Beloved, do not think it a strange thing concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. You know, as I said, you know, temporal pain and eternal glory. It reminds me of a, uh, that story of a mom who went grocery shopping and she had her three-year-old daughter with her. And, and obviously the little three-year-old was beyond nap time and, and you just couldn't comfort her. And so she would just scream at basically anything and everything that was going on. Mom would stop in, a, in an aisle and grab something and the daughter would throw a fit and the mom would just look at her and she'd say, Molly? just five more minutes. And then she went on about her shopping, got to the next aisle and, you know, the child is just throwing a fit again. And mom just looks at her and she says, Molly, just five more minutes. And there was an elderly gentleman on the, on the aisle and he, he saw what was going on. So he tries to approach, you know, the mom and her, her child and he smiles, you know, at the young girl. And, and obviously the little three-year-old just goes berserk. And uh, so he, the elderly gentleman just goes on about his way. And this just goes on, you know, the whole time that mom's shopping. And so finally she pulls up to uh, the checkout stand and the elderly gentleman who'd been shopping was checking out in front of her. So he turns around and uh, he looks at, you know, the child again. And, and the child just again starts to scream. And, you know, mom looks, you know, at the child and she says, Molly, just five more minutes. And uh, the elderly gentleman, he said, ma'am, he said, I, I got to tell you, he said, you you exercise tremendous patience. I mean, you know, how old, you know, is little Molly? And she goes, oh, I'm Molly. <laughs> That's Jennifer. And, and, and uh, you think about that, 
you know, with regard to pain and suffering, sometimes you have to just remind yourself, you know, the pain is temporal, you know, but uh, uh, that glory lasts forever, that again, we will get, th we'll get through this moment. And, and as we do, like I said, I just want to pray with you this morning that the Lord would, uh, again, just minister to our hearts as we study his word. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word today. And I pray that, Lord, as we read it together, that uh, God, you would just move in our midst, that you would minister to our hearts and our minds, that uh, Lord, you'd help us to settle maybe some questions that we have about our own pain and our own suffering, uh, where Lord, we doubt you or we doubt ourselves. Uh, God, may you increase our faith. We, we know that your word says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. And so Lord, thank you as you minister your word to us. Our faith grows today. Our faith would increase. And in that, uh, Lord, we would love you in a deeper way and we would serve you, uh, Lord, even more. And we just bless you and thank you, Lord, for speaking to us, uh, Lord, today as we study together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, before we go any further, there's probably something that we all need to admit uh, that when it comes to to pain and suffering, it, it probably makes about as much sense to us, you know, on an individual level as the that ad that, that was put out in a newspaper uh, that said, uh, reward, lost dog, has three legs, blind in one eye, and a broken tail, answers to the name of Lucky. <laughs> you know, because you think of like, I mean, when we hurt or we go through something, you know, our first response for the most part is what? It's why, why me? You know, why, why me and not, you know, why, why, why to, you know, in the sense, do bad things happen to good people or to God's people? It was Barna Research Institute and, and their survey, uh, this was a, a worldwide survey, okay? This wasn't something that was just in the United States alone, but it concluded that the majority of people on this planet if they could ask God just one question and one question only, they would ask God, why is there so much evil and pain and suffering on earth if God is good and he's a God of love? And I think, you know, in people's struggle, that's been one of the many reasons that non-believers have not come to a saving knowledge of faith. They cannot wrap their mind around why, if God's in control and God is good and he's a God of love, how could he allow pain and suffering and evil to the degree that we see it? And you don't have to go far. All you'd have to do, I mean, think about this. We're talking about on a world level, right? But we could all put ourselves in that position. You could walk into one hospital. Let me just give you a hospital in particular. Go to Fresno and go to the children's hospital. And you watch the pain and the suffering of just children. It's one thing as adults, we go, hey, you know, we've lived and we've had, you know, the opportunity to maybe enjoy life. You go, but a child. I mean, and to think, you know, that there's so many that are in that realm, you know, that again, just cannot wrap their minds around it. And so we, we understand you know, the plight. And so does Peter, again, uh, as, as he'll, he'll demonstrate here. You know, are you aware that um, according to the Science Daily, that the annual cost, this, this is mind-blowing, the annual cost of chronic pain in the United States is over $635 billion a year. Chronic pain. I mean, that, that's more than the cost uh, of cancer and diabetes and heart disease put together. When you think about that. Pain. It's something that all of us experience in this life. There's no escaping it. Speaking of pain, Philip Yancey in his book, Where's God When It Hurts? He writes this, I have never read a poem extolling the virtues of pain, nor have I seen a statue erected in its honor, nor heard a hymn dedicated to it. Pain is usually defined as unpleasantness. Christians don't really know how to interpret pain. If you pinned them against the wall in a dark, secret moment, many Christians would probably admit that pain was one of God's mistakes. He really should have worked a little harder and invented a better way of coping with the world's dangers. I am convinced that pain gets a bad press. Perhaps we should see statutes and hymns and poems to pain. Why do I think that? Because up close under a microscope, the pain network is seen in an entirely different light. It is perhaps the paragon of creative genius. You know, Philip Yancey writes another book, you know, pain, the gift that nobody wants, you know, the pain in the truest sense. And he, as he worked, you know, with Dr. Brand with the uh, lepers um, and studying, you know, leper colony is that, you know, pain really is a gift because without pain, you know, we, we would just basically, we would kill ourselves. So pain has a purpose in our lives. 
verse 12 there in first peter 4 you look at that and it says beloved do not think it a strange thing concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you and it's right away you look at you know i just can you go back <laughs> can you are you able to pull that back how about if i do that and i do that beloved i want you to focus in on that for a second he he obviously peter begins this portion of scripture he's dealing with trials and pain but he starts with the word beloved and and it's important that you understand that in the hebrew language it, it's pronounced there's a masculine and a feminine to this it's like you know my my wife's pet name you'll see it on her license plate is ishti that's the english version of the hebrew word isha uh, there's ish which is woman and isha is meaning of my woman and when you look at you know uh, ahuv uh, there's the masculine the feminine uh, in the Hebrew and then in the Greek uh, translation of it. But to think of it in the Hebrew language, it's pronounced ahuva and means one who's greatly loved or one who's dear to the heart. We think of the Shulamite, you know, or in the beloved in the Song of Solomon there. But Peter's writing to me and to you, saying and reminding us before he even gets into this, he, he's saying, hey, know this, you are one who's loved. You are dear to the heart of God. And it's important that we understand that, you know, that, that we know that God loves us. And you think about that, you know, on a personal level, when you love someone, when you love someone, you want to, in the truest sense, you want to experience what they experience in life. That's the, the two becoming one, right, in life. I mean, the highs, the lows, the pleasure, the pain of life. And when you love someone and they hurt, I mean, you, you pretty much do anything that's within your power to alleviate the pain. I was praying with a brother last night. His wife, Blanca, is in the hospital and uh, suffering um, tremendously and couldn't be with her. And uh, finally, you know, was able to get in. And then the nurse, you know, in just being compassionate, finally just said, you know, you can, you don't have to leave. You can stay with her and made it possible for him to spend the night, you know, with his wife in the hospital. Uh, just, you know, you, you go through these things. I mean, no one wants to go through it alone. And yet when you love someone, like you said, one of the things that you'll find yourself saying, especially a, a parent to a, a child, we think about, you know, children that have cancer and who are there in a hospital, you know, say in children's hospital. And a parent, you know, I've heard it many times as I've had the privilege to pray with families that were suffering through trials like this. And they go, I would do anything to trade places with my child. I would do anything to trade places to my beloved, to the one who's dear to my heart. And, and, and this is what Peter is understanding, you know, about you and I, that uh, again, we're going to suffer through trials. We're going to go through things that are tremendously painful in our life. And Peter is telling us what? Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you go through a trial. You know, I share this with you, you know, constantly to remind you there's three things that we know about trials right you're either what in a trial or you're coming out of a trial or you're being prepared to what to go into a trial they're just part of life and so peter writes here and he uses the, the words fiery trial and most scholars believe that peter uses that language specifically because you remember at the end of ad 64 i've been sharing this with you remember you know uh, caesar nero did what he lit rome on fire he, he sought to burn down the old city. He wanted to rebuild it with new architecture. And in the process, I mean, literally just brought the city to its knees. And there was a revolt that began to rise up against him. And so in order to, to thwart that revolt, he pinned the blame on Christians. And you know what transpired after that, the persecution, the martyrdom. I mean, literally, you know, Christians being, like I said, dipped in pitch and then lit a fire. You think about, it. and so Peter understanding those things, or to be reminded, remember, and you've heard this, that, you know, Caesar worship, right? So if you were a person who came to pay taxes to, and to Caesar, they also would have you either, you know, drop some incense on the altar and, and, and say, Caesar is Lord. And if you wouldn't do it, you were marked. And so as they knew that the term Christian came up and it was widely known, we see this even in 1 Peter chapter 4, it was accepted uh, we see that where it began in the book of Acts there, where it says, you know, in Antioch, they were first called Christians. So here's Peter, you know, understanding, you know, that, you know, as believers, 
the Roman government might say something like, you know, uh, or write down member of Jesus, the woman who was caught in adultery, and he writes in the sand. Well, maybe in the Roman government, they would do the same thing, history tells us. They would write in the sand the word Christian, or they might write it on a wall, and they would tell Christians, spit on it. And if they wouldn't spit on it, guess what? They were marked. They were marked out. And many of them, like I said, suffered. Many were persecuted. Many were killed because of that. And so Peter's here talking about this fiery trial. You know, you recall all the way back in, you know, in Daniel chapter three, remember the three Hebrew, you know, children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And they were placed where? In this fiery furnace. They faced a fiery trial. And, and yet they did so believing that somehow, some way, even in the midst of this literal fiery trial, God would deliver them. And it says when they were cast into that, that furnace, they looked in and they saw that there was, there was a fourth, a man standing there. It wasn't just with them in the fire. What did he do? He walked with them in the midst of the fire. And there's something so comforting about that today, that when you go through a trial, and you are going to go through a trial, this isn't health and wealth and prosperity doctrine, you know, that says when Jesus became, you know, poor so that you and I can just be rich, you know. I've asked you many times in this pulpit, you know, did someone lie to you when you became a Christian? They said, it's the best life, you know, it'll, it, it, everything in your life is just going to get easy from this point on. And, you know, and you go, yeah, I buy into that. And the next thing you know, it, it was like you were swimming upstream. Everything was coming at you from all angles. And then they, and then they tell you, kind of laughing, they, huh. they go, you lied to me. And they go, I know, but, you know, I didn't want you to know because I wanted you to become a Christian, you know, and you're going, thanks a lot. I'd have been better off if I'd have known the truth. Jesus said, the truth you'll know and the truth will set you free. Many people, when they then experience a trial, they think God is against them. When, again, trials aren't because God is against you. Trials are just demonstrating that God is for you and that he's working in and through those circumstances that we all face in our life. You know, I think on a personal level, you know, Peter might have recalled the, a scene from Mark's gospel that we read about where Peter couldn't understand. Just like, you know, I, I love Peter. I don't know about you, but I love Peter. I can relate to Peter. Is there anybody else that can relate to Peter here? You, you study his life. You go, yeah, I do that. And Peter, in, in Mark's gospel in chapter 8, you remember this. Jesus began to, to teach them. It was right after he had asked Peter. He said, you know, who do men say that I am? And they're, you know, you're Elijah. You're, you know, a prophet. You're a good teacher. He said, but who do you say that I am? You know, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Then he goes on and it says, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again remember for the most part the jews rejected jesus because they couldn't imagine their messiah coming into town riding on a full of a donkey they thought he'd be riding on a white horse right coming in as the conquering as as the victor but not you know as isaiah declares that jesus was a man of sorrows or the messiah would be a man of sorrows and he'd be acquainted with grief who wants to follow a Messiah like that? But that's exactly what Jesus was and who he is as he walked on this earth. A man of sorrows, stricken, smitten of God, acquainted with grief. And you know what? And we appreciate that. It's been well said. You know, we appreciate the accomplishments of other people, but we relate to their pain. We relate to the suffering that other people go through because it's what? It's common to all of us. Success, not necessarily common, but pain and suffering, absolutely. And so it goes on in Mark's gospel and it says, and he spoke this word openly that he was going to suffer, Jesus said. And he said, and then Peter took Jesus aside. Try to imagine this. Took Peter aside and, and Jesus, Peter, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. But it says, but when he turned around, he looked at the, his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. You know, the translation is that we love the glory, but what? We shun the pain. But suffering has what? It has a way of purifying our lives like nothing else can. What does suffering do? You know, we find it all the time. It helps loosen our grip on this life. Have you discovered that to be true in your own life when you suffer? It, it kind of gets you to look up towards heaven. It kind of reminds you that, guess what? As Peter began his epistle, that we are sojourners, we're pilgrims. This is not home. Anybody in here believes that this, this is heaven? <laughs> yeah, no. The longer you live, you learn this is not, you know, Disneyland might be, you know, the happiest place on earth, but that's a small plot of land, Southern California. 
C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciousness, but shouts in our pains. Pain, it is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Yeah, I wish it wasn't that way, but would you agree that pain gets your attention a lot more than pleasure does? Yeah, it does in all of our lives. But know this, you know, our fiery trials, they're temporal. They're here now in this life where the ungodly will suffer them not only in this life, but in the life to come for all eternity. Like I said, the fiery trials that you and I go through, I mean, they, they're temporal at best. You remember that quote? Uh, goes like this. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And it's true about fiery trials as well. The same trials that purify the saint will also punish the sinner. You know, that's what Peter told us all the way back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, remember this, he said, In this you greatly rejoice that though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that what? The genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to the praise and the honor and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember, you know, the goldsmith or the silversmith, they would heat that gold, they would heat that silver and they would do what? They would pour it from vat to vat and each time the dross would rise to the top and they would scrape that, the impurities off. And that's what trials do. Trials have a way in your life and my life to do what? To cause the impurities to come to the top. And it allows God to scrape it off. That all that remains is the purity of our faith. In the same way that, you know, you think about a goldsmith or a silversmith, you know, knowing how do they know when, when gold or silver has reached its, its purification is they can see their reflection in it. And that's what Jesus is looking for in my life and your life is his reflection. And yet, Sin mars that reflection, and so he allows the trials to come, and it's the way that God removes those impurities from each of our lives. You know, I know for myself, you learn this lesson over and over again, you know, that suffering not only purifies us, but it also humbles us, doesn't it? And it keeps us really one of the, the greatest blessings, if you think about it, is it keeps us dependent upon God. I think about the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You remember as he has this tremendous revelation of what? Of heaven one day, right? And, and what happens to him? You know, I, I think about this, you know, having a conversation. Because we can become so proud and go, you know, I was reading the Bible. And, you know, and the Lord, you know, showed me this in his word. And imagine sitting with the Apostle Paul. And he's going, oh, that's good. You read that in the word. But hey, today I was talking to Jesus and guess what? He took me up to heaven. You know, and you'd sit there and you go, oh, okay. You know, how does that compare? And that's, so Paul, not saying that he was a proud person, he said, but he had the temptation of being proud. And so he says this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It says, and lest I should be exalted, you know, this revelation that he received, he says, above measure by the abundance of the revelations, he says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, he said, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then what does he go on to say? Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of God would rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For what? There's the key. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And what was true for Paul is true for me and you. Pain and suffering purifies us. It keeps us humble. And it definitely causes us to become dependent upon God. Verse 13 goes on, it says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. You know what Peter's saying there? Just don't be afraid of pain. And only you can answer that. Are you afraid of pain? I think sometimes in my life, you know, yeah, I am. I, I remember, you know, when I, I shared with you, when I went into the, the hospital for a, a heart procedure and the doctor doing the angiogram, you know, he goes, uh, Mike, it failed. 
I'm laying there on the table, you know, in the hospital and they're trying to do the angiogram. They're going to try to put a stent in and they couldn't do it. Like I, I said, it, you know, it was like a cross. It's probably an amazing thing in and of itself. And that's the analogy he was using. He goes, there's a cross at the arteries there and in the, in the intersection years were feeding the wire from the angiogram. They put it up, you know, in my case, it was through my groin and they feed it up to your heart and, and it was going, instead of going straight through, it kept turning. And they, so the blockage was up here and it couldn't go through. And he's going, so, you know, hey, and I, I couldn't believe this because my doctor was part of, you know, the Bakersfield Heart Hospital, right? So never having anything like this in my life, you know, so I'm, I'm laying there on the table and, and looking around, you know, the, the room there and this very sterile environment, you know, everybody's all gowned up. And, and uh, he said, uh, you know, Mike, I'm so sorry, you know, and I'm not really understanding what's going on. I mean, you're sorry about what? Because you're awake during this time. And he said, you know, we're just going to, we'll have, we'll make an appointment with Cedar Sinai and we'll send you down there, you know, for bypass surgery. And, and it was just like, I was in shock. I was thinking, what do you mean? You know, bypass surgery, you know? And I mean, and this fear just gripped me and it wasn't, I mean, like I said, it wasn't the fear of dying. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I had a piece about that. What I didn't have a piece about was the pain. That was the, I was, in all honesty, I mean, I was like, I'm good to die, but, you know, to, to pee in pain? I'm thinking, man, they're going to crack my chest. You know, I'm going to be in pain. And that was the thing that, if anything, you know, that was tormenting was that. I, I get that. And so if you're in that place, you know, I just don't like pain. You know, I, I totally understand. You know, I can relate to that. And, and part of that, hopefully, you know, in being able to share that with people, when they go through experiences, I find that people aren't afraid to say, Pastor Mike, I'm afraid. I, I get that. I was afraid too. I know that. Because you're a Christian doesn't make you not afraid. It just, again, we just have hope. We have the ability to cope. Uh, you know, it's like Paul would remind the church at Thessalonica, right? Uh, we don't suffer like those who have no hope. That's why I call this hope in the dark. We have hope because we have Jesus. Amen. But it doesn't mean that, you know, we're, we're not going to hurt. We're not going to suffer. We're not going to deal with pain. C.S. Lewis was once asked this question, why do the righteous suffer? And I love his response. He said, why not? They're the only ones who can take it. And, and really, when you think about that as a believer, it's true. We, we suffer differently than those who don't have hope. You know, Peter here, he's reminding us that we don't have a right to expect better treatment than Jesus himself than the treatment that he received when he walked on this earth. You know, if suffering, think about this, if suffering is a tool of our heavenly father in the life of his own son, his only begotten son, how much more will he use pain and suffering in instructing me and you? Hebrews 5.8, this is the proof text you might say for that. It says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. What did he learn? Trust, trusting in the Father. We know his last words, you know, from the cross is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Remember King David in Psalm 119, John covered this, you know, on Wednesday night. David would say, before, look at this, he said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. So what is, what is David saying there when he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. What is he saying? He says, you know, before I got a, you know, I got a spanking. And when I got a spanking, what happened? You know, I, I, I learned my lesson. And now I, I keep your word. C.S. Lewis kind of writes the same thing here. C.S. Lewis writes this. Pain plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. It's great imagery there. So what is it saying? You rebel against God and what happens? You get a spanking. And then what does it do? Brings correction. That's what God does. So again, is it painful in the moment? Yes. But what's the purpose of it? Is correction in our life. And you could say this, the deduction in all this is that the more you suffer for being a follower of Jesus, the greater your reward will be one day. That's what Peter's reminding the church, the church at large, the church there in 64 AD, the church today in 2020. We're not suffering to the degree I could say yet in the United States, but I think that that day is coming here in the United States. We have lived the easy life, the good life, but there are many martyrdom around the world today is at an all-time high. 
Christians are being persecuted. They're being killed for their faith all around the world. We don't hear about it a lot in the news because it's not the news that people want to report, but it's definitely taking place. Verses 14 through 16, back in 1 Peter 4, goes on. It says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. It says, but let none of you suffer as a, you got to pay attention to this, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody. Wow. He puts busybodies on the same level as what? A murderer, you know, as a thief, as an evildoer. There's a lot of busybodies in the church. People that just stick their nose in other people's business, right? Yeah. So think about that. In other people's matters. So what is, you know, again, is all suffering the same? No. Suffering as a Christian guarantees there's a future blessing as Jesus is glorified. Suffering as an evildoer, Peter says, is deserved, and it brings shame not only on yourself, but also on the name of Christ. So you could say Peter's reminding all of us here, be selective in your suffering. You might say that. You know, we're going to suffer, but be selective. Make sure that you're suffering for what? For the right reasons in your life. Suffer for the cause of Christ. But that's so amazing when you think about that, you know, that here, Peter, and why he brings that out, you know, just of sticking your nose into other people's matters, you know, and you go, wow. And, and to put that on that same level, just something very, very interesting that, again, that wasn't a mistake. I don't know in the context of really why he placed that there, um, but there's definitely, obviously, something that the Holy Spirit would, would uh, desire that all of us would uh, glean from that. I guess that uh, maybe one of the things that just comes to mind is, you know, there is none righteous, no, not one. Or you think about, you know, in scripture, it says, you know, it's really easy for us. If we, we, we accept the sins that are part of our life, right? And that's why Jesus would say, get the log out of your own eye before you try to get the speck out of your brother's eyes. Because why? Because the wages of sin is what? Death. It doesn't make any difference what the sin is. Any sin is worthy of death. Verse 16 goes on, though. It says, and yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in this matter. Now, again, and you want to you understand this. We don't glorify God by suffering. We glorify him in our suffering. There's a difference. Now, remember, you know, go back to the cross. You know, in, in Matthew's gospel, I think it's in chapter 26 or 27, um, the end of the chapter there, where when Jesus dies upon the cross, remember the, the Roman centurion who's there at the cross? And he looks at Jesus and he said, surely this is the son of God. And, and you think, why? So when you read that in context, you go, why is he saying that? Because of the way that Jesus responded when he was on the cross. He wasn't, it says though he was reviled, he what? He reviled not. And they were coming to him and they're going, yeah, he said, you know, there it says they were wagging their heads and they were spitting at him. They were yelling obscenities at him. And what was he saying from the cross? Was he cussing back at them? Like the, the soldiers were so accustomed to someone doing on the cross? No. Jesus' words on the cross were, Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. A heart of love, a heart of compassion, a heart of forgiveness. And Jesus from the cross, you know, by the way that he suffered, was demonstrating that he was and is the Son of God. Something about suffering in our lives, you know, demonstrates probably more than anything else. Like I said, people will appreciate your successes, but they will relate to you in your pain. And when someone's going through a painful thing and they can still maintain their joy and they can still maintain their happiness, that's somebody that's going to get your attention. And you go, wow, they really believe what they believe. And we all want that, you know, in our life. It's interesting when you think about the name Christian, it comes from the Latin words Christ, meaning the anointed one, and, and the suffix uh, lanos, which is to say a, a partisan. It means a strong supporter or a follower. And it's only used three times, you know, like I said in, in scripture, I shared with you in the book of Acts, where, you know, in Antioch, they were called Christians. It, it's sometimes mistranslated uh, to say, you know, and, and there is a meaning in this that a little Christ, but it's really, that that's not a correct rendering of the word Christian when you think about that. It, it's more appropriate when we think about taking that, that concept of 
Christian, the meaning the anointed one, and understanding the, the suffix there of lanos, a, a partisan or a strong supporter, you think about that, of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, again, when you think about what we are, in the truest sense, I mean, we're not little Christs. No. What we are is we are strong supporters of Christ. Amen? That we believe in him. He, he, it's like voting, right? I mean, he, he is our king. He is our God. He is the Lord of our life. Acts chapter 11, like I said, it says, and when he found him, it says he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole year, they assembled uh, with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They were what? They were strong supporters of Christ. They were followers of Christ. And it became widely known then and it, even today. And even today, to be a strong follower of Christ can bring what? <laughs> Persecution in your life. People don't care what you believe as long as what you believe doesn't impact the way that you truly live your life. If you think about it, hypocrisy is, is the thing that just makes the world go round. I guess, and I underlined this in my notes, the point is not all Christians are the same. Here's a story for you. Amy Coney Barrett. You probably have never heard of her, um, but she was just appointed to the Supreme Court and she's a Catholic. And if you remember, she was attacked for her Catholic beliefs, right? And yet, you know, we understood that um, within the Democratic Party, again, and this isn't, you know, my beliefs or understanding. This is, this is the dialogue that's taking place in the judicial hearing, is that Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and who else was there? Oh, Joe Biden, of all the people. Joe Biden were all practicing Catholics, okay? And yet they were said they were they were being questioned why weren't they under attack, you know, as politicians for their beliefs. Well, they paid her the highest compliment that you probably could have paid her. And this came from democratic rivals who were Catholic. Not even really knowing, you know, what they basically were declaring, they said, "Well, she's a real Catholic." So what basically they were saying is not all Catholics are even the same, right? Just like not all Christians are the same. Paul addresses that. You know, if you really want to do a study on it in first Corinthians chapter three, people will say, is there any such thing as a carnal Christian? Can you be carnal and be a Christian? And the answer is what? Yes. Paul deals with that in first Corinthians, really why he wrote the letter to the church in Corinth to begin with two letters, three, actually one got lost. And you go, but you think about that pretty amazing when you think all those things. So what does suffering do? Well, suffering definitely helps us stay focused on Jesus. Because why? When you are suffering, you don't worry about anything else. You just want the pain to stop and you let go of everything else and you cling to him. Verse 17 in 1 Peter 4 goes on. It says, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So what is he saying here? When you read it in context with regard to suffering, that he's saying to us, you know, that suffering has a positive effect. It can be used in a positive way. Judgment is, and again, when you think about this, and has a positive effect in the believer's life. Remember, because we're going to face judgment, right? There's, there's two judgments. There's the great white throne judgment, which you don't want to be at. That's the judgment of the non-believer who will be judged and then cast in the lake of fire for all eternity. That's called hell. And then you have the believer's judgment that we read about. It's called the Bema seat judgment that we read about in 1 Corinthians. And that judgment is where you and I will be rewarded for those things that we have done in our faith. That's why it's good to know your gifts, to know your ministry and to serve there, that God could reward you one day for those things, that those very things that he created you for. And so just know this, judgment in the believer's life has a purifying effect. But, and, and it's interesting when I, I think about this, and it's right, as Peter said, for judgment to begin with the church. Because what? Because we know better. Because we know the word of God. And, and as I was looking at this, I, it, just in curiosity, and I haven't studied this out completely, but uh, I was, the thought came to my mind. So I go, okay, so if judgment begins with us, is there a continuity with that in scripture? So I went all the way back to the beginning, to the very 
fall of mankind. And you think about it. When judgment came in Genesis chapter 3, who did it come to first? Adam and Eve or to the serpent? Went to the serpent first. And you go, why? And you go, who knew better? He did. The serpent did. And then, secondly, it was actually it was Eve before Adam. And you go, why? Well, Eve was the one who brought the forbidden fruit to her husband. Though the Bible says Eve was deceived and Adam sinned. How did it get there? Through Eve. And then ultimately God speaks to Adam. Interesting in the order. Began with who knows the most. Now think of that again. So again, is this a proof text? You go, I don't know. But I do know this. The woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Same thing. They brought this woman. Didn't bring the man. And it says in Jesus, and we don't know what he wrote, but it says he stooped down and he wrote in the dirt. And it says, and who? It says one by one they left from what? The youngest to the oldest or the oldest to the youngest? In the order. From the oldest to the youngest. Why? Who should have known better? That's who he starts with. And so that judgment begins with you and I, because we know the truth. It always starts with those who understand those who should know. And then you think about it, though, and here's the thing that should make us shake. You know, what will be the end of those who don't obey the gospel? I mean, if Christians suffer to the degree that they do here and now, think about that. And look at the suffering that happens to Christians in the world today. Can you imagine? Or is it beyond our ability to imagine what's in store for the ungodly? What's in store for those that reject the grace of God and disobey the gospel of God? Peter's very much aware of that. Verse 18 goes on, 1 Peter 4, it says, Now, if the righteous one is scarcely safe, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Now, he's not saying salvation's hard in the sense that, you know, it's something that we have to earn because we don't. Salvation is a free gift. But it's hard in the sense of the requirements, isn't it? Jesus said, if any man desires to come after me, let him do what? Pick up his cross after he does what? Deny yourself, right? It says, deny yourself, then pick up your cross, and then do what? Then follow Jesus. That, that, that's a difficult thing, and we know that there's a struggle. Our flesh struggles against the Spirit. Peter most likely was quoting, obviously, Proverbs 11.31, where it says, If the righteous will be recompensed on the earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? And, and Peter isn't saying this, and don't get this wrong. Peter's not saying, you know, that, that Christians are people who try really hard to be saved and they barely make it, right? That's not what he's saying at all. He's just reminding us, you know, that as children of a loving God, we can expect that our Heavenly Father is going to discipline us, to train us in righteousness, to prepare us for the life that is to come. Do you get that? It doesn't just prepare us for heaven. It makes you long for heaven. That's what suffering does. I had a, Tim Poulin is my neighbor in Kern City. And uh, I'm trying to get the whole church to move in there. My mother and father-in-law, we live around the corner. Susan Craig lives a couple doors down from them. Tim, hey, I'm trying to get David to sell his house and move over there. I'd love, anybody that's 55 and over, I'd love for you to move into Kern City. You just take it over. We'll create a Christian commune. No, uh, but, uh, but no, it's fun because like Tim's out riding his bike and he knows if something's going on, he just pulls in at my house. And I was out, out in the front yesterday and, he, he, and he comes up and, and uh, he's in pain. He's in a lot of pain. He's had major back surgery. He's got, you know, this wire that's been placed in there and a stimulator, stimulator that he can, you know, use electronically. And, and, and just he'll have days though. And I get it. I have a bad back myself. And he's going, man, I'm, I'm in so much pain. And he said something that was so cute though. When you think about it, and my point in sharing this with you is that sometimes suffering, it makes you not only, you know, uh, prepares you for heaven. It makes you long for heaven, right? Well, he was going to bed and it was, he was in so much pain. Faye, his wife was around the corner in the bathroom, getting ready for bed. And Tim laid down in bed and you know how you just lay there and he was, and he just, it still hurt. He couldn't get comfortable. And so he said, Maranatha, Maranatha. And Faye stuck her head around the corner. She goes, Hey, not without me. <laughs> I thought that, that was, so cute because it's like she she knew and it, but you get to that point when you're in pain you're going jesus what come quickly i give up and that's the thing and you go and that's not a bad thing in, in the truest sense 
you know, there, there comes a point and God prepares us for that. I remember my own father, and I think about this often because I think I missed it. He'd been fighting so much when he was in the hospital uh, and he kept saying, you know, I want to go home. I want to go home. And we'd say, dad, you can't go home. And, you know, he would get a little upset, say some things. And, and uh, you know, it's dad, you got you got to get stronger, you know. And then the day that he went home to be with the Lord, my mom said he was really agitated that morning. And so I went there and she said, honey, you need to come because you're the only one that can get him to calm down. So I said, okay. So I go over there. And, and so my dad takes my hand and he's just holding my hand and he just, he's looking at me and he goes home. That's all he'd say. He'd go home. And I kept saying, dad, um, you, you know, you can't go home. You got to, he's like, kept looking at me you know, like your dad, like he's correcting me. He's like home, you know, like, um, dad, you can't, you when he'd go home. And uh, so I go, okay. You know, so I prayed for him and, and literally he just, in that moment, he just put his head back and he was totally relaxed. And I look at my mom and I go, has he been like this at all? And she goes, no, he's been totally, you know, frustrated and agitated. And so I left and, and I was doing a wedding. Uh, David and Candace were getting married that day and, and uh, did their wedding. And then when I was leaving, I called my mom and, and I, she wasn't at the hospital. I could tell there was kids in the background. They were playing. I said, mom, where are you at? And she's, oh, I'm over, you know, Bree and Dustin's playing with Charlie. I said, well, who's with dad? And she goes, Oh, they didn't tell you that he died. And I go, no, no one, no one told me, mom, you know, uh, that he passed. Oh, and I go, it wasn't going to change anything anyway. So we were talking about it. Then she said, yeah, he, as soon as you prayed with him, she goes, he put his head back. She goes, he never moved from that moment. And so then as I started thinking back, I go, you know what? I think, and again, I don't know this for a fact. I go, but I think what he was wanting me to understand was that he was going home. Was that he was saying to me, home and literally, you know, he just laid back and, and when they came in at five o'clock, cause he wasn't on any kind of, he had a DNR, uh, they weren't monitoring him or anything. So the shift change, they just came in. So my mom had been sitting there all day and my dad was already gone. And the nurse comes in and she goes, you know, he's not breathing. My mom, <laughs> you got to understand my family. Okay. My, my mom says, he's not breathing. Does that mean he's dead? And the, the nurse is like, well, you know, I mean, they're trying to be, <laughs> yeah, if he's not breathing, it's pretty safe to say, you know. So my mom kind of laughs, you know, she's like, and because those things, as a believer, like I said, we, we know that we're in a better place, right? You still hurt and you still grieve. And my mom loved my dad and my dad loved my mom. But it was like, you know, he's, he's not suffering. He's not, he's not hurting any longer to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. But it was this thing of, I think, believe my dad was just going home. You know, I, he was there. He was done. He was tired of the hurt. He was tired of the pain. He was tired of the suffering. He's going home. Pain and suffering has a way of preparing us and it has a way of helping us long for home. Verse 19, we'll close with this. It says, therefore, you know why we're going to close with verse 19? Because there's not a verse 20. Okay. I just want you to know that this morning. It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God, commit their souls to him. This is so good. It says, commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. That word commit there, in the original language, it means, uh, it's, it's a technical term. It's like a banking term. It means a sacred trust, but it's not just a sacred trust. It's a sacred trust that's given to a friend. Okay. I want you to think about that. A sacred trust given to a friend. It's where you give money to someone and say, hey, hold this for me and then give it back, you know, with interest, you know, in the sense when I return. And you think about that because it's the same word commit that Jesus used from the cross. He said, Father, into your hands, I what? I commit my spirit. I'm entrusting myself completely to you, knowing that you'll give it back to me with interest. That's so important that you understand, because when you're hurting, you're going through painful things and you're suffering, you wonder, you know, what's God going to do? And, and to understand that word is that when you commit it to God, he's going to give it back to you with interest. And, and I love that. It's Like I said, it's so, so comforting. Jesus is our trusted friend, amen? And then here's the clincher in this whole thing. Isn't it interesting that Peter uses the name creator for God here? I mean, you think about all the names, the names of God that Peter could have used, you know? And he uses the word creator. He's reminding us, you know, that even though we don't understand that God has created pain, that God has created suffering. 
God's created all these things. Colossians tells us everything that exists was created by him and for him. It, it's beyond our pay grade. We're not going to understand this in this life. But what we can know, and what I want to leave you with this morning, is understand that everything happens in this life. Whatever happens in my life and your life must first pass through the filter of God's love. That, that's so important that you, that you understand that, that you get that. And, and I love how the Apostle Paul expresses that same thought in 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 12. He says, therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He says, nor of me, speaking of himself, his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has given to us in Christ Jesus before time began but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, he says, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I believe, and I am persuaded that he is able, here's that word again, able to keep what I have what? Committed to him until that day. Bottom line is, entrust your heart to God. Entrust your life to God, knowing that you are entrusting it, you're committing it to a faithful friend who one day is going to give it back to you with interest. And the reminder of that, and I close with this, is 1 Corinthians 2, 6-9. And I'm always comforted and encouraged every time I read this passage, and I pray you are today as well. Paul the Apostle would write this, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in the mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But here, but as it's written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. How'd we start the service? The same way we'll end it. It's a great reminder. Pain is what? Temporary. Glory lasts for what? Forever. Can you say that with me? Pain is temporary. Glory lasts forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you for this entire book of First Peter, it's just been so rich, so helpful, I know, to me and my own personal journey with you. But as I think about family members and friends who are hurting and suffering and going through pain, to be able to remind them, uh, Lord, that the best thing we can do in this life is commit ourselves completely to you. And I pray for each person here today. I pray that we can all say, those that are here in the sanctuary, those that are watching online at home, that we have entrusted ourselves to you. Lord, it's the only thing that will make sense of this life. It's the only reason we have hope, Lord, in this world today. Is God, there's a purpose in the pain that God, you never waste a hurt, but you use it to make us look to heaven, Lord, to be prepared for heaven, to long for heaven. And Lord, I thank you for that. Thank you for your tremendous wisdom, God. Your ways are so high above our ways. But Lord, thank you for sending Jesus so that we could get a glimpse, that we could get a picture of all that you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for reminding us that we're never alone. That Lord, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Lord, in that fiery furnace, that Lord, you're always there with us every step of the way. And we love you for that as we pray in Jesus' name. We all agreed saying, amen, amen. Church.